Today we are in part three of this series, Imperfect Together, and I've loved this series. And let me just encourage you because we are, we are starting to uh, do a better job about getting our videos on YouTube, on the website, and as well the, the podcast. So feel free to jump online if you missed uh, the first couple of weeks. I really feel like God is, if he hasn't spoke to you, he spoke to me, all right? And I think there's good stuff that, that we can learn from God's word in this series. But today I want to continue this thought, and we, we've set this up every week with just this big idea that, that life is messy, relationships are difficult, relationships are difficult, amen? And we're all broken, but the beautiful thing is that God uses us in the middle of our brokenness. Let me set it up with a question this morning for, for part three today. And this is kind of a tough question to start a message off with. But as it relates to contentment in your life, let me, let me just ask you, maybe you just evaluate one with being you know, terrible, 10 being great. How satisfied are you with your job? Just think about that for a moment. How satisfied are you? Oh, you didn't want to think about that on Sunday morning, did you? How let me ask, how satisfied are you in this current season right now with your relationships? Or you could, uh, how, how satisfied are you with your marriage? Or for the single people in the room, how satisfied are you with your singleness? Just do some inventory of your life. It's a little bit uncomfortable, so I'll give you some space. How satisfied are you with your life in general? Just right now. That silence is the tension in the room. It's the tension of knowing, and we all know this, that oftentimes, no matter how satisfied I am with my life, I find myself always chasing what's next. And I never learn to be content with what's now because all I can see is what's next. And whenever I arrive to a certain point, all, all I want to be is at the next place. You know, we live in a culture, and I think the way we're wired is we often find ourselves saying this statement right here. I can't wait for dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. Teachers, I can't wait for spring break. Oh, you're with me. This, my teachers are in the 930 this morning. I can't wait for summer. Oh, wait, that's already here. That's already here. Uh, I can't. I'll, I'll confess to you. My, my boy's asking how many days to his birthday. I looked up yesterday. Guys, I looked up yesterday how many days there are until Christmas, all right? That's sick, isn't it? There's 304, by the way. <clears throat> Everybody, we have... Let's recognize it. An insatiable appetite for more. An insatiable appetite for more. It's a sickness, really. More success, more things, more kids, or just the fun trying for more kids. More attention, more money. And the emptiness we feel when it comes to this discontentment is because more is a chase that never ends. It's a chase that never ends. More is never satisfied. More is never happy. 
more, everybody, is a black hole. It's, it's, a, it's a constant feeding for something that we will never arrive at, and it leaves us oftentimes miserable, discontent. I, I, you're probably thinking of some area in your life where this has affected you. It affects us all. And the question I have for us this morning is what if we could see contentment through a different perspective and live a life that really pleases God? I just want to share for a few minutes on this idea, a life a life that pleases God. I'll set it up. We're going to go to Ecclesiastes, and we're just going to run through chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. It's a powerful scripture, but understanding who wrote it and the situation of his life really makes Ecclesiastes that much more powerful. You have Solomon, the son of King David, who became king, who built the temple in Israel, was the wisest man who ever lived. Not only was he the wisest man and wrote many of the Proverbs that we read and gain wisdom from in our life, he was also the wealthiest man who ever lived. I mean, Solomon had it all. He had power. He had success. He had fame. He had money. He had the kingdom. He had, he had everything. And that's the context for where we're going for just a few minutes, this idea of life that pleases God. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, if you're ready, say, oh, yeah. He says this. You re- this is, man, we're just starting off with a bang this morning, all right? Verse 2, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. Aren't you excited to be at church this morning? Isn't this encouraging? <laughs> this is good. Listen, you're never going to find Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2 on a Hallmark card, everybody. Happy birthday. Everything is meaningless. Your life is meaningless. Have a great one. You're not going to find that on a Hallmark card. And he starts this, he starts this whole book out with this idea that everything is meaningless. He goes on and check this out. Actually, notice this meaningless in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes 37 times. So when, when Solomon says meaningless, meaningless, or he says it over and over, it's like an exclamation. It's like he's really exaggerating this idea. He says in verse 4, Generations, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. You know what he's saying, everybody? Your grass will outlive you. Just, I mean, be encouraged this morning. This is up, man. You're going to be uplifted. Your, your grass is going to outlive you. I mean, sometimes we think we're invincible. We live forever. But he's saying the truth is you've got a few years to this life, but, but then we're gone. And generations come, generations go. And then he jumps down to verse 8, and he says this. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. D- does this resonate with you like it does me? I, as, as I was reading and studying this week, I actually went back to Uh, just a scenario in my life about a week ago when I had spent about 30, 45 minutes on the phone before uh, I went to bed and I was just digesting mindless entertainment. And and I I just sat there, you know, scrolling social media. I read a little bit of my Kindle, you know, checking scores, doing that kind of a normal wind down routine. And I took my phone with me. It was on my phone the whole time. I put my phone on my little case on my nightstand where I keep it away from my bed and uh, went to the restroom, brushed my teeth. 
And those two minutes that I was gone from my phone, I came back into the room to go to bed and I had this thought, oh my goodness, did somebody, did somebody text me or call me? And I went over and I checked my phone. And as I did, I just thought, what is wrong with you, Wes? You were on your phone for 45. What else could there be that you need to find out right now before? Am I the only one in the room? And I just, I just recognized that there's a sickness in me that it's never enough information. It's never enough knowledge. There's never enough stuff. There's never enough scores. That's why on websites, when you go, the pages never end. Have you ever reached the bottom of Facebook and they say, there is nothing else to tell you? (laughs) You haven't, have you? Because they know as long as we can keep your thumb moving, they've got you. We are having an insatiable appetite for more. He says this, history merely repeats itself. Nothing is truly new. My goodness, nothing is truly new. It has all been done or said before. Now, now thank God for new things. I mean, we do have new things. We got a new earth fair in Wesley Chapel. Come on, some of you health nuts, man, you're like, oh, we got earth fair. I can finally eat good food. You know, we got... I mean, my wife is talking nonstop about the new Hobby Lobby. I'm like, pray for me, man, and pray for financial miracles because I'm going to need them. When the Hobby Lobby opens. But is is there really anything new? Because we, we have technology, we have information, we got new Hobby Lobby. But we still have fighting. We still have broken family relationships. We still have racism. We still have wars. We still have a hunger for power that's been around since the the beginning of time. Is, Is anything really new? And Solomon, he almost just stops life in his tracks and says, what are we doing? What am I doing? Why am I wasting so much energy? He says this in verse 14. Look, he says, I observed everything going on under the sun. And really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Think about that. Chasing the wind. Can can you imagine if you looked out of your front bedroom window and you saw your neighbor and they were just. (laughs) Listen, you would call the psych ward. Hey, could you come get them? My neighbor is out chasing the wind. They're chasing the air. And as stupid and dumb as that sounds, the question that has convicted me all week is how much of my life, when I reach the end of my life, will be added up to chasing the wind? I don't know about you, but that convicts me to my core. Because I think, dear God, what am I spending my life really doing? I think there's an unhealthy pursuit. I think there's three things that we pursue that sometimes sum up to meaninglessness. Number one is this. We chase people. We chase people. And I think for many of us, it's one of the biggest dangers and struggles in our life. And I'm, I'm guilty person number one. Let me tell you this. The great thought is behind people pleasing, understand this, behind people pleasing is a deep fear 
that I will never be enough. And so much of the chasing we do when it comes to people has a lot to do with the insecurity we have inside of us. We want to be loved. We want to be liked. We want to be noticed. We want somebody to take a look at who we are and recognize us for something great we've done. And instead of becoming who God created us to be, that's why I love the song we sang this morning. We're going to sing it again in just a few minutes. It talks about our identity and recognizing who we are in Christ instead of who we are based on who somebody else is. Are you with me this church, this morning, church? I love what Craig Rochelle, he says this, becoming obsessed about what others think about you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. People. Number two is this. It's pleasure. It's pleasure. We read chapter two of Ecclesiastes and Solomon's at this place where he's like, you know what, I'm going to try, I'm going to try everything and just see what works, what doesn't work. See if I can find, I've got it all. Let me just see if I can find true contentment. And so Solomon throws the biggest frat party ever in chapter two. He says this in verse one, he said, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. Verse three, after much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. How many glasses of wine does it take to finally make you feel good enough? If I were asking myself the question, Wes, how many Krispy Kremes do you need to eat before you finally feel good? We all have something we crave that fills the emptiness in this life, something the enemy tries to sneak in and use to destroy you. It brings momentary pleasure, but ultimately it leads to emptiness in your life. What is it for you that is the chase, that is the hunger that at the end of your life you know will amount to nothing? It's the pleasure we seek that brings temporary satisfaction but long-term pain. Number three is this. It's possessions. Possessions. I, I, I was watching and heard this story about Floyd Mayweather. Uh, incredible boxer, but uh, crazy guy. Extremely wealthy. Pretty good businessman, too. And they were showing this house that he had. He's got multiple houses. They were showing this house that he has in Las Vegas, a 20,000 square foot home. And they went to the garage. It was a, a seven, uh, at least seven or eight bay car garage. And in it, he had seven cars, seven cars that he said he had never driven in his life. He said this, the seven cars were worth over $15 million dollars. He has set, just think about this for a second. Seven cars worth over $15 million that he's never sat in and drove. And the first thing I'm asking is, man, what does this car do for you? Does it make pizza? Or I mean, I'm like, $15 million. Well, here's the truth, everybody. Solomon would have made Floyd Mayweather look like a pauper. It says this in chapter two. It says, I collected great sums of silver and gold. Listen, some of us collect seas on the, uh, you know, shells on the seashore, and some of us collect baseball cards. 
This guy collected gold coins. I mean, he collected huge amounts of money, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. He says this in verse 11. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was so meaningless, like chasing the wind. The the question I have for you this morning as we wrap up today is how, how many of us are spending our life chasing the wind? How, how many of us are spending our life chasing the wind? You know, Jesus, he says this in Mark 8, he says, in verse 36, he says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? I love a passage in 1 John that I want to share that just sets up the context for, context for where we go as we close today. But I believe God wants to move us this morning from a place of pursuing and a place of striving to a place of pleasing. It says this in verse John, it says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. But he says this, look, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what, look what it said, pleases God will live forever. How do we live a life that pleases God? We make a decision to live for what matters most. We live for what matters most. This is fresh in my mind because I've been with multiple families this week who've lost loved ones or were in the process of saying goodbye to loved ones. And throughout the last several years in ministry, there have been many times where I've sat by a bedside of a family who's broken and hurting because somebody they love so much was no longer with them. And as many times as I've sat to, and stood next to somebody and prayed with somebody, as they were preparing for the end of their life, let me tell you this, I've never one time, I've never one time heard anybody say to their family, hey, c- could you run down to the bank and, and withdraw some cash? I wanna hold on to some cash before I go. Or, or could you go wax and wash my car and bring it right up and I wanna look at it through the window right before I leave this earth? Or could we make a business deal or make sure that one last thing happens or could we, could we just clean the house one last time for all you OCD people in the room? Some of you are like me, you're like, before I die, I wanna make sure my house is vacuumed and clean. There's 
There's two things people think about. Am I right with God? And am I right with my family? When you, when everything is said and done, the 60 to 80 years that God promises you, where you went on vacation and the trips you took and the cars you drove and how green your grass was will be meaningless. They, Solomon says this, they will be a chasing of the wind. My question for us is, are we gonna be a church that chases the wind? Are we gonna be people that lives for what matters most? Are we gonna be a people that looks over the next eight weeks and go, you know what? We're stepping into one of the greatest seasons to reach people for God. I'm gonna make sure I invite everybody I can to experience the love of Jesus. I'm gonna pour into my kids and when I'm sitting down to the dinner table, I'm not gonna be on my phone because I'm gonna treat it like it might be the last meal I have. I'm putting my phone away and I'm gonna be all in with the people who love me and care for me and are with me. Are we living for what matters most. The question I have for you as we close today, and this is the question, everybody. Let me tell you, this is the question that drives everything we do at Bay Chapel. I tell you what, I want so bad for you to get in a connect group and do life with people. I so bad want you to jump on a team and serve because I believe when you start flexing your serve muscle, Jesus looks down, he's like, wow, he's getting stronger. He's looking good, he's getting some fitness on him. I so bad want you to not be timid and take that next step and go public with your faith. And if we need to hold you under for a little bit longer, we will, we'll make sure God does the work he needs to do. But here's, here's the question that I have for you today. The question that drives everything in our life, a life that's pleasing to God. Am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I becoming more like Jesus? Because if we lose weight, great. And if we get a bigger house, great. And if we have stuff, great. All that stuff, everybody. That's kind of a heavy message this morning, but I want to shake us a little bit. God wants to shake us. God wants to shake our families up because at the end of this life, I want to know this. I'm right with God. I'm right with my family and I live my life to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Is there anybody in the room with me this morning? Amen. Amen. I want to make a difference for Jesus. I want to find my identity not in what somebody thinks about me on Instagram. But I want to find my identity in what the king of all kings thinks about me because he's the one who created, he's the one who died for me. I want to live my life to please and honor him. If you're with me in the room, would you just take a moment and bow your heads today?